We've been talking about helping and about the heart of a helper. And we said to you that uh, it's not just learning how to do something mechanically and learning how to help somebody naturally, mechanically. That's the only thing. God looks at the heart more than anything. And to be a good helper, you have to uh, uh, have had your heart touched by the Lord, we said. The heart of a helper is the, a heart that God has touched. He's uh, given somebody a place in your heart and touched your heart concerning them. Put it on your heart to help them. We, we use that phrase all the time, though. And it's not something natural, it's something spiritual. But also we said that uh, you, you have to get to know people. And in order to get to know people, you've got to be unselfish. You um, there's There's things that... A lot of times that people say, well, I didn't know that they wanted it that way, or I didn't know this or that. And it's because they're, they're more selfish than they think they are. They're, they could have, they could have known very easily if they would have just watched and listened and paid attention. And so one has to be unselfish. Uh, Paul said that Timothy, you know, was like-minded to him. And in order to be that way, you have to be unselfish. A, uh, good heart of a helper, is a humble and submissive heart. And we've said to you that uh, you're not to help people the way you think they should be helped. Are you not to help people the way you want to help them? You're to help them the way they want you to help them. And there can be huge differences there. A lot of times pride always has a better idea. Well, I know they said this, but we'll improve on their request. You have to be very careful about surprises and better ideas and things along that line. Improvement, so-called. Because uh, so many times you're getting out of your place. Um, You're there in 1 Corinthians 4, and I want you to notice another great aspect of having the heart of a helper. Having a proper heart. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 It says, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithful. Uh, That's one of the great qualifications of having a right heart is having a faithful heart. A faithful heart. Uh... One aspect of a faithful heart is that you can be confided in. And you can keep confidence. Without turning there, let me just read to you Proverbs 11.13. Proverbs 11.13, it says, He that is of a faithful spirit conceals the matter. He that's of a faithful spirit conceals the matter. Uh, so much of the problems that occur in churches and ministries, and for that matter in all kind of institutions and places, is because of breaches of confidence. Is that right? I mean, I don't know at the time. Phyllis and I have talked with pastors and their wives and heads of churches, and they've got all kinds of problems. And uh, really the way it all started is somebody talk to somebody about something that they had no business talking about. And uh, can you understand that just because uh, something should be kept private doesn't mean that somebody's trying to hide sin or that they're trying to cover up something. I mean, some things just ought to be private. I mean, like concerning your family and your home. Everything that goes on between you and your spouse, you and your children, is not necessarily anybody's business. Is that right? That doesn't mean that you've got some gross sin that you're trying to hide. It just it takes, for instance, your personal finances. And what bills you have and what your liabilities and assets are. I mean, that's just not necessarily anybody's and everybody's business. Is it? And... Uh, Uh, A lot of people in our society have never learned to develop in the areas of discretion 
<laughs> they really have, have absolutely no development in these areas. Discretion has to do with discernment. Knowing when to talk, when not to talk. How much to say and where to stop. How to say it, how not to say it. It's an art. And it's not something that somebody can just lay hands on you and impart to you. It's something you develop in. And to me, the greatest key in developing in discernment is learning to listen to the Holy Spirit. Because when you begin to get too far, he'll check you. And if you just pay attention, you just change the subject or work it around a different way and go, well, that's enough of that. I don't need to say anything more about that. And one great key to discretion is wisdom. Through wisdom, how many times, and this has happened to all of us in some degree, you know, that we said something, and without meaning to, we told somebody more than we ought to. That, that ever happened? I mean, all of us could raise our hands, you know, you, you, uh, I mean, because they put two and two together. You know? It was very obvious, but you didn't think about that, that when I say that, then they already know this, and they'll put that together, and then they'll know this that I didn't necessarily want them to know. But then after you say it, you go, oops. It's too late then. Right? But wisdom is always looking ahead. Wisdom is always thinking about the impact and effect of my words. And, uh, con you know, what conclusion will they come to from what I say? And uh, one must discipline themselves to develop in these areas. Uh, Proverbs 15, 28 says, the heart of the righteous studieth to answer. Talks about that the foolish, their, their mouth just pours out wicked stuff. But the heart of the righteous studieth to answer. That means that you contemplate the effects of your words before you release them. Or, simpler said, you think about what you're going to say before you say it. Now that sounds like a very simple concept. But many people have great difficulty in mastering this, this particular thing. You know, the Bible even talks about uh, that wrong words and hurtful words are like arrows or even like sharp swords. I mean, the, uh, the, the scripture uses the, the comparison. You know, somebody gave me, uh, some years ago a compound bow, you know, that you shoot arrows with. And, uh, boy, these things are lethal weapons. I mean, these arrows are razor tipped. And, I mean, you have to have some strength to even pull this thing back. It's, it's quite powerful. And what if I just came in here today and I had this bow with me, some of those arrows, and something happened and I'm mad, I'm upset. And I don't, I'm not even looking or thinking about what I'm doing. I just, I just grab some arrows and I just start shooting. You know, I'm just mad. And I get through, and I look around, and people have got arrows sticking out of them. <laughs> and you're sitting there going, ha, ah, ha. Ah. And I said, I am so sorry. I just got mad. Uh, I didn't mean to shoot you. I wasn't trying to shoot you. Yeah, but you're still shot. <laughs> I said, you're still shot. And you know words are like that? That as long as you have, you just got them in your mind and you've not said them, then you still got your hand on the string. But when you speak them, it's gone. It's out of your control now. I mean, the moment you let go of that string, split second after that, you would like to recall that arrow, but you cannot. The arrow is gone. It'll find its mark. And you can go Help, you know, get it out of somebody, help patch them up, but you cannot recall the error. That's why the Bible says that we'll give an account for idle words. Every idle word. What, what, what would an idle word, mindless word? You just say things. And yet a lot of times people think it just totally excuses if they say, well, I didn't mean it. Well, see, I could say that after I shot you with the arrow. <laughs> I didn't mean, I didn't, I wasn't even looking at you. 
nothing personal, really. But you got an arrow sticking out of it. You are still hurt. You understand? And uh, one, one of the biggest things is that so many have not gotten a revelation at all of the significance and the power of words. You should, you know, uh, esteem your words highly. You should drill into yourself that death and life is in the power of what I say. I am edifying or I am tearing down. I am ministering life to or I am ministering death to. And uh, if you want your words to carry weight, then you must uh, be more conscientious with your words. And you must think more about the effects of your words. I mean, I think most everybody would like for their words to be weighty. And they would like to be able to speak to people and have their words impact them and affect them powerfully. And you can. Every child of God can. But you cannot be loose with your words and have that happen. I know the Lord said something to me some years ago that if I would be more selective, I would be more effective. If I'd be more selective about the faith confessions I made, if I'd be more selective about the prayers I prayed, uh, see, it's easier just to have the concept, well, just, you know, just say everything and just throw a bunch of prayers out there and maybe some of them are hit. Throw a bunch of confessions out there and kind of like, you know, the more you've got going, the better chance you got something will happen. Completely wrong concept. Completely wrong. You want to be selective. You want to eliminate all of the surplus and the chaff and the vain and the unprofitable. And then uh, if you, as you do that, then what is left will be more solid and more pure and more powerful. Now, back to this initial thought, the faithful person is a person of confidence, a person you can put confidence in, a person who can keep confidence. The Bible said, he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. If the Lord gives you a place to help somebody, pastors, ministers, uh, somebody else that's in a leadership position, Department heads, supervisors, whatever. And sometimes the Lord will give people that's helping people, sometimes in order to help them, they have to become privy to certain information about their personal life or about the inner workings of the church, the inner workings of the ministry. And uh, if the Lord has allowed you that, then what He has done, he has He has trusted you and given you a shown his confidence in you by allowing you information that maybe not everybody is aware of. And if you're faithful, what will you do? Conceal the matter. Is that right? Not necessarily that it's something bad or something sin or something wrong. You just need to know, uh, you know, what is, uh, what the Lord is allowing you to know, but that it's private. It goes no further. It's a blessing to me, I count it an honor, that I have quite a few people that call me, talk to me, come by to see me. I could call names and a lot of people that you know, nationally known people, they call me, come by to see me. And a lot of people never know that they do. Because I never tell anybody. A lot of times I never even tell my wife. You might say, well, I don't know about that. Well, listen to me on this. If they say, Brother Keith, I don't want you to tell anybody about this. Don't, don't talk to anybody about this. And if I say, okay, then what does it mean, don't talk to anybody about this? What does that mean? That's a simple, simple enough phrase. But the interpretations of that are wide and varied. Because almost everyone has someone that in their mind doesn't fit the category Everybody or anybody. Well, I know, you know, have you ever had anybody come to you and say, well, you know, so-and-so was telling me, and they said, you know, don't tell anybody, uh, and so, you know, don't tell anybody. 
But they're telling somebody. They're telling you. You know, I, I, I know they said don't tell anybody, but I know you won't, you know, you won't talk about it. So, uh, I want to let you know about this. That's an unfaithful person. Unfaithful. If you say you're not going to tell anybody, then who do you tell? Nobody. I know of a certain situation a while back, a fellow was talking to me about something, and, uh, and I did, I, he, you know, he said, you know, don't, don't talk to anybody about this, and trust it all, right? And a lot of people that I have dealings with, they know they don't even have to tell me that. They know that it goes without saying, that it won't leave the room. But this one particular fellow, I was talking with him, and I thought, you know, I might, my wife might like to know that, and be good for her to know it. And so I went by later and asked him, I said, would it be all right if I told my wife? I told you I wouldn't tell anybody. So I'm asking him, would it be all right if I told her? He said, oh yeah, yeah, that's all right. But see, if I told him I'm not going to tell anybody, then what does that mean? I'm not going to tell anybody. And if you tell anybody, then you're unfaithful. Unfaithful. That's how stuff gets, you know, uh, I have found that, that if you really want to keep a secret, tell nobody. In most cases, people mean well, but they're just not really that faithful. It's amazing. We, we've had private meetings on some things before. And uh, I mean, by the time I could get home, two hours later, somebody's calling me from the West Coast asking me about it. <laughs> two hours later, from the West Coast. Well, see, somebody, somebody, you know, is loose with their commitments and their phrases. And they feel like, well, I'll, I'll tell them, you know, they won't tell anybody. But then they've got somebody that they can tell it won't tell anybody. And then they've got two people that they can tell it won't tell anybody. Next thing you know, there's hardly anybody left to tell. <laughs> but I so appreciate the people that have helped me before that, uh, that are faithful. And the Bible says the faithful person conceals the matter. And, you know, uh, we've had people that help us before. And sometimes uh, they don't, other people don't even know that they help us. Don't even know that they even know us. That's, that's how uh, discreet they are. And sometimes it can be a blessing to you. It can help you. It can save with a lot of problems. Save without, without having to even deal with certain situations and, and things. Not that you're trying to hide a bunch of sin. And stuff. Just, some things are just not everybody's business. Sometimes if people just know a piece of something, they jump to the wrong conclusion. They don't know the whole story. They don't know everything that's going behind it. But uh, understand this, if you're going to be a good helper, and God's touched your heart, and God privileges you to private information, then be a faithful person. Be faithful. And uh, just trust your heart. A lot of times, even though they didn't ask you not to talk about it, you just know this shouldn't be talked about. This is private. Not that we're ashamed of it. It's just not everybody's business. And as you do that, you'll be found faithful. And uh, if, uh, if the Lord finds you faithful, He'll add to you. He'll increase you. But if you're unfaithful, you can wind up getting decreased. And demoted because you, you've proven unfaithful. Now, uh, another thing about faithfulness and about helpers is that a good helper and a faithful helper will be there when you need them and they won't be there when you don't need them. I don't know if you know what I mean by that or not. Just because God put it on your heart to help somebody doesn't mean that, that you're called to be their fishing buddy or their shopping buddy. You understand? And sometimes people have difficulty with that. That uh, they they really want something in return for their service. They want friendship. But you know, you do not necessarily have to uh, be a part of someone's personal family to help them and be a be a personal friend to them. I've had people before that the Lord laid on my heart to help them, and I did. 
And uh, sometimes you might keep thinking, well, there'll be some personal something here, but, but then it's, just, it's not, and it's not supposed to be. And sometimes people have a problem with that, and it comes back to not having the right heart and not doing things for the right motives. Go with me to Luke, the 17th chapter. You'll see something that's very enlightening along this line. Luke chapter 17. Is this all right? Like we said, some things don't make you shout when you hear it. But if you do it, you shout later. Luke 17. This is a great passage of Scripture. You, you don't always hear as much about this passage as you do some others. Let's look at it, beginning in verse 7. Luke 17, 7. He said, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he's come from the field, Go and sit down to meet? I will not rather say to him, Make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. I mean, you could say, instead of saying that, you could say, I think not. Or I don't think so. So likewise ye, when you shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable uh, servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. As I said before, in our society, particularly here in the, in the States and in Europe and what have you, you have to uh, get a revelation of what servanthood is. Because there's such a strong sentiment, say in America, for instance, uh, you know, we are the free. We're nobody's servant. We're free. We're our own individuals. We're nobody's slaves. And, uh, you know, being a slave and being a servant is, you know, despised. But yet the Lord tells us in the Word that we are to serve. And the person that's going to be the greatest is going to be the best servant. But in order to serve, you've got to realize what a servant is. Now, of course, in this day when this was written, they knew about slavery. There were more slaves than there were free people at Rome and in the Roman kingdom. I mean, uh, you know, there were a lot more slaves than there were free people. Everybody that was of any means had slaves. And uh, I'm not advocating slavery. I'm just saying we need to know the mentality of a, of a slave. A slave was one who did not have their own agenda. They did not get up in the morning and think, what do I want to do today? And after living that way for a few years, you just get where you don't think like that anymore. You just don't even think, what do I want to do? If the thought crosses your mind, you just forget it real quick. Because you're not your own. Does that have any application to us? And yet many have never really gotten hold of that concept, have they? Even though people profess Jesus as Lord, still they're pretty much Lord of their lives. They pretty much do what they want to, when they want to, the way they want to. But if Jesus is really Lord, then uh, you die to what you want. And you learn to not think that way. You know, I've learned this in my own personal life, that if I don't let myself develop great personal aspirations and dreams and desires, it's just that much less I have to die to. You know what I mean by that? I mean, I've had people ask me before, well, what are you planning to do on this? Or what do you want to do this? And sometimes they look surprised when I said, well, hadn't thought about what I want. Now, sometimes people think you're kidding or think you're joking, but I'm serious. You can learn to just not, you know, when you begin to think, well, I'd like to do this, or just, just cut yourself off. Say, oh, just forget it. Don't even think about that. Don't even need to look in that way. The Lord will let you know. And the slave would get up in the morning and not think, what do I want to do with my day? Because your master's going to tell you. Is that right? And if he says, uh, go to the field, then, uh, hey, your day's planned. Is there any need in you thinking about what would you, you would rather have done today? 
No need at all. But to many people's minds, that is a terrible thought. Well, I'm a free person. No. How many know the Scripture? No longer I that live. Christ who lives in me. Is that right? I'm crucified. Well, what do you mean crucified? What's crucified? Just what we're talking about. But see, it's not automatic. It comes up all the time. And you just have to keep reminding yourself, look, I don't live unto myself. I don't live for myself. But we've already said that one of the main ways that you serve God is by what? Serving people. And so it'll do your world a good to learn. If the Lord put it on your heart, go help them and serve them. Then there's no need you fabricating a lot of things about what you want to think and what you want to do. They'll tell you, I guess. Is that right? And it's, re- it's real growth and real maturity when you get to where you think like that and operate that way. And it's just so much that you don't have to buy to. You know, people build up their dreams. I want this and I want to do that. And then when the Lord shows them that that's not His plan, then they have to go through all this, you know, mourning over losing my vision and my dream, whatever. If you hadn't let yourself fabricate it to begin with, you wouldn't have to buy to it. Right? But you have to think like a lowly slave. Hmm? But I tell you what, there is amazing freedom in this. Amazing freedom. You can roll the two-ton weight off of your shoulders of having to decide everything for your life and plan everything for your life and just wake up and go, the Master knows. I don't have to try to plan and figure it all out. He's already got it planned. All i got to do is hear from Him. No need in trying to decide what my aspirations are. You know, a lot of times when it comes to vocations and careers, people haven't been taught. You know, people need to be taught from the time they're a small child. Then by the time they get to, you know, in elementary school, junior high, and what have you, they're not just sitting around like kids at career day. What do I want to do? That's not the question. I said, that's not the question. If Jesus is your Lord, it is not left up to you to decide what you want to do. That's already been decided for you. I said, that's already been decided for you. I said, that's already been decided for you. What do I want to be? It's already been decided for you. Now, the thing is, you don't have to do it. You can do something else. And a lot of times people are being unconsciously led, uh, you know, even sometimes even before they were Christians. They didn't know it, but God was leading them and directing them towards what he wanted them to do. Because he knows you from the beginning. He knew you would hear him and answer and what have you. But uh, it's not for you to decide what you're going to do. It's for you to discover what you're foreordained to do. And the good works that you're foreordained to walk in. Can you say amen? Now, I said to you previously that there were three different types of servants and, and, and helpers. Remember that? One, what we might call a bond slave, that someone that is doing something because they have to. Secondly, a hired servant. They're doing something because of the money. They're doing something because of what they're going to get from it. A hireling, the scripture calls this one. Thirdly, love servant. They're doing it not because they have to. They're doing it not because of what they're going to get out of it. They're doing it because they want to. From their heart. And this is the only thing that's acceptable with the Lord. Now, let me go over these real briefly. With the, uh, with the bond slave, we have, we have many people working in churches and ministries and working for the Lord, and they really are, in a sense, in their own hearts and eyes, bond slaves. They're doing things because of a sense of guilt, a sense of duty, a sense of obligation. And they do it, dreading to do it. And sometimes, uh, you know, ministers are at fault. I've seen people just get up and berate their people, 
and say, you know, you're not doing this and you're not doing that and if you don't do this and God's not going to bless you and not going to love you and this and that. And people out of a sense of condemnation will come and go, well, I'll do something. You know, because they feel like if I don't, my pet dog's going to die and I won't get promoted and you understand? Out of a sense of fear, out of a sense of guilt, condemnation is not God's way. God doesn't want you doing something. I've seen people come to do something on the project. And you can tell. The only reason they're there is because they feel guilty about something and they're trying to salve their conscience. You ought to send those folk home. You ought to be be sent home. Because that's unacceptable to God. He doesn't want you doing things out of an obligatory sense and sense of guilt, condemnation. No, no, no. He doesn't want you tithing out of a sense of guilt. I've seen people, you know, I've seen the minister talk about that. Or if you don't, you, you sorry rascals, you're robbing from God. You're robbing from God, you dirty rascals. You. And I mean God's going to get you. I mean, you watch it. Your transmission's going to go out probably next week. And the washer's going to break. That cat's going to get run over. You know. You're going to get the flu. And sometimes people come up with, man, better pay your tithes, man. Because, you know, people do it like trying to pay off the mafia or something, you know. <laughs> Keep them from hitting it. That is totally unacceptable to God. God. I mean, would you want your children responding to you that way as a parent? Well, God doesn't want his children that way. But then the second type here is the hireling. And you really got a lot of that. You know, I was talking to some of our students at the school a while back. We have RMAI Association, Rama Ministerial Association International, Alumni Association. And we have ministerial opportunities for our graduates. And we've got a lot of them that are non-paid positions. And people just keep passing over those. You got all these people that say they're looking for something to do. And here's an opportunity, but then they want to know how much money. And when they say no money, they, they well, forget it, you know. But see, we are not supposed to be led by salary figures, are we? I tell you, if I had been, I would not be doing what I'm doing now at all. At all. The Lord dealt with me to help Brother Hagen and hook up and help in healing school any way I could. I did. And when they put me to work, and I loved it and enjoyed it. And, and I went to work full time. I'm working 40 plus hours a week. Did it for two and a half years for nothing. Nothing. And I guess they figured I wasn't leaving, so they hired me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, eventually... Gave me courses in the Bible school, and, and, and now I'm just up to my eyes, busy and full, and enjoying every minute of it. But I, I feel certain that if I hadn't volunteered, that I wouldn't have been in position to be hired to work at healing school, and then if I hadn't been there, I wouldn't have been in position to work in the school. You understand what I'm saying? And one thing leads to another. But what if I had said, well, there's no money here. There's no money here. And uh, i got to have money. Even after I graduated. You know, and we had some people, well-meaning people, even friends, sometimes family, call and say, well, what's Keith doing now? Haven't got a job yet? Oh, hey, I'm working full-time. Just not getting paid. <laughs> By them. But I was getting paid. And what they didn't know is that we were better off financially than the time prior to that. Both of us had jobs and were working. And now she, she's working a secular job. I'm working in the ministry, not getting paid, but we got more money than we had before. God's taking care. When you do what he tells you to do, he'll take care. And he's teaching us valuable lessons. We're learning God's our source, not man. Not, not a church, not a company, not the government, not parents. God. A whole lot of folk live and die and never learn that. 
valuable lesson to learn. But when you, when you get that good and solid in your heart, it really sets you free. And you put absolutely no pressure on people at all. No pressure about anything. Because they're not your source. And if they don't do anything, no problem. God's got other sources. I, the way I've taken up some offerings and things, sometimes people have said, you know, you ought not say that if you won't get anything. I say things like, if you don't want to give, don't. <laughs> Keep it in your pocket. Don't do it. People say, oh, brother, please, don't not say that, you know. And sometimes I've mentioned things about things the Lord's blessed me with. A nice car, a nice piece of jewelry, or a nice this or that. Folks say, oh, Brother Keith, you not say that. They know you drive a Corvette, they won't give you anything. I don't care. If they're giving because of what I have or don't have, they're not listening to God. Did you hear me? See, I have a friend of mine told me one time, and a fellow told him, he said, what you got to do? He said, you know, don't wear those nice shoes. He said, wear the old ones. <laughs> and when you, when you cross your feet, you know, on the platform, kind of turn where that the soles are showing. And, uh, <laughs> and he looked at him, he said, if I have to do that, I'll quit preaching today. He said, I am not doing that. And that's a little extreme, but I tell you, there's a lot of it around in different ways. And people tiptoe around this or that, or they say this or that. But so when you realize God's your source, you quit playing politics. You understand? You quit trying to uh, do things through ulterior motives or suggestion or appearance or whatever. If you give, it'll be given back to you. If you believe God, he'll deal with people. Is that right? And you don't have to do anything or say anything but obey him. And I'm telling you, we've seen it in our life. We've seen it in our life. God's faithful. He's good. And it's that way with, give, with, with giving your service and being a helper. Now, a lot of times I've said people do things as hirelings. They're doing things for what they're going to get out of it. And uh, I know another pastor friend of mine was, was telling me that he had a fellow come help him a little while. And the fellow got disillusioned because there wasn't enough money there. And he left. And he was telling me privately, he said, you know, uh, what this young man didn't know is that I already had it in the works to help him get in the house. I already had it in the works to help get him a car. If he'd just stuck with me just a few more months, I already had it in my mind, had already talked to some people. But see, he got, you know, got flustered and this and that. And somebody said, why didn't he tell him? Well, he shouldn't have. I said, he shouldn't have. Well, I said, well, I think you ought to tell him. Well, you don't know how God operates then. Because that's exactly how he operates. Faithfulness is such a big factor to him. And your heart will be tried in these areas to see why you're doing so. If the only reason you're there is the money, then it'll be proven. And the Lord sometimes will let things happen where the money's not there. And now now we see what you do. Hmm? And if you're really doing why, what the Lord said do, then you do it whether the money's there or whether it's not there. You'll do it. I know as an itinerant, you know, uh, we get a lot of invitations, places to go and things to do. And uh, uh, you, you cannot let yourself look at the size of a congregation or at whether they might give you a good offering, whether they might not give you a good offering. You just can't let yourself think like that at all. My main question is, does the Lord want us to go there? And I try to ascertain that in my heart. Do I feel like the Lord's leading us to go? Then if he is, that's it. That's the whole thing. Just go. And I tell you one thing I found out, sometimes people talk about this big church where they've got rich people in there. Well, just because they've got money doesn't mean they're going to give you any of it. <laughs> 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 and I, we, I, it's been amazing. I've been to places where, you know, they could, they could have, you know, without even trying, they could have blessed you without even trying. But they didn't. They just, you know, didn't do anything. And you go by a little place, well, you know that, you know, some of the people, they, they didn't have much. But man, they just bless you greatly. And what the thing is, you can't walk by sight. Right. Now, I'm using that because that's, that's, that's where I'm at. That's how we live, you know. But however you live, you're still supposed to live by faith. And every what, you know, whatever occupation that you're involved in, it's still the same thing. 
You can walk by faith. People help individuals sometimes. They're looking at the money. But it's not always the money. It can be other things. It can be the uh, being seen. It can be privilege. It can be promotion. Not necessarily money, but, but other things. And how many understand there's a huge difference between trading and giving? Trading is, I'm going to do this for you, and of course, uh, we're going to want something back. You're going to do this for us. That is not giving. I said, that is not giving. You know, people have said that about marriage. Well, marriage is a 50-50 proposition. You know, you give me some, and I give you some, and, and we you give and no, no, whoever said that didn't know what they're talking about. Marriage is not supposed to be trading. Trading is not going to work. You people got standoffs concerning obeying the word. Well, the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. Well, the Bible says you're supposed to love me. Well, if you'd love me, I'd submit to you. Well, if you'd submit to me, I'd love you. Well, if you'll do this, I'll do that. We don't got to give and take. That's trading. It's not what God said do. God said give and ask for nothing. It's not the human way, the natural way, is it? When you give, there's no strings, no requests, no implications, just here. What do you want? Nothing. What are you asking for? Nothing. What do you expect? Nothing. That's giving. Anything else is not giving. Notice what he said here. He said the person who has a servant, if they're out plowing, feeding cows, whatever, and he comes in, does he tell his servant, well, you've been out in the field all day. You know, you've been working hard for me. Go on and then get you something to eat and rest up. Is that what he said? No. Why? Because he's a servant. Will he not rather say to him, Make ready, for with I may sup and gird myself, and gird yourself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken. And then you can eat and drink. Now just your initial response, how does that strike you? <laughs> You've been working out in the field all day. you got a sunburn and a sore back. Your hands are sore. And you come in, and they say, oh, there you are. Hurry up and get me something to eat. <laughs> now, people in our society, they have major problems with that. Don't they? Major problems with that. But see, they don't know what being a servant is either. To the servant, this is natural. This is normal. This is the way it's supposed to be. He said, uh, do, do they say, you know, go in there and, and, and eat and do what you want to? No. He says, go take care of me first. And uh, then you can eat and drink. And does he thank the servant when he does it? I said, does he thank him? He comes and serves him and he says, oh, you are so wonderful. You know, I so appreciate uh, how you work in my field. I so appreciate how selfless you are, how you come in here and fix my meals, you are so wonderful. You are so No, does he thank him? He said, uh, I think not. I don't think so. He doesn't. Now verse 10, what did the Lord tell us? What did the Lord tell us? Y'all just not reading this or you don't want to read this? <laughs> verse <laughs> Verse 10, what did he tell us? So likewise ye. What does that mean? Hmm? That's the way you're supposed to be. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but with the rest of this verse, isn't he saying that's the way you're supposed to be? Is that right? That's the way, this is the way you're supposed What way are you supposed to be? Those things which are commanded you, what are you supposed to say? We are unprofitable servants. We've done that which was our duty to do. Let me say it like this. Uh, we do not deserve any special attention. We have just done what we should have done. We've just done our job. 
We've just done what we're supposed to do. We don't deserve any special thanks or accolades. We've just done our job. This is one of the greatest acid tests of the true servant's heart. Is uh, how well you operate without copious recognition and thanks. There's a lot of folk. I mean, uh, thanksgiving and recognition is like gas in the tank for them. If you don't thank them enough and you don't recognize them enough, they will quit. No question about it. And I don't mean, I don't mean if you just, you know, don't thank them once in a great while. I mean, some folk, they will pause every time they do something and wait. <laughs> Would you hand me that pencil? And then you, you know, you take it and then they, they look at you like, is there something you want to say to me? <laughs> and people go, oh, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you. This has really been a blessing. Thank you. And they go, okay. <laughs> this is not a good servant's heart. Because listen, that is a hireling. You are asking for something in return for what you have done. Payment. You ever heard somebody say, all I ask is a little appreciation. That's all I ask. Just to be appreciated like a human being. I mean, I work hard. I mean, I, I do things that you, that you don't notice. <laughs> yes, what are, you, what are you saying? What are you saying? You're saying, I want something. I want something. Pay me. Pay me. <laughs> You're saying, pay me thanks. Pay me appreciation. Pay me hugs and kisses. Pay me pats on the back. Pay me. Pay me. Pay me. I'm a hireling. And I want my pay. But a true servant gives and asks for nothing. I have a, a philosophy that I endeavor to live by in this area. When it comes to these kind of things, I expect nothing and appreciate everything. And that way I'm never disappointed. See, the moment you begin thinking, well, they didn't, they didn't even take the time to stop and say thanks. I guess they just felt like I just should have done it, like I owed it to them. They don't appreciate me. They just take me for granted. They just use me. But listen, these same people, night after night, prayed, Oh God, use me. Oh God, use me. Oh God, use me. And now he starts using them and they go, I feel used. I thought you wanted to be used. I just feel like they're using me. <laughs> well, you got to make up your mind. You either want to be used or you don't. <laughs> he said, verse 10, So likewise ye. Do you see how we, we need a revelation, don't we? Do, do we? Yes, we need a revelation about what it is to be a servant. People don't know. People don't know what being a servant is. Being a servant means doing what you're asked to do and giving and giving and giving and asking for nothing. And once you've done all the giving... Not feel like I should be acknowledged or recognized or thanked. I've just done what I was supposed to do. And that's the way you think and that's the way you feel. 
No, put on. That's genuine. That's just your heart. I've just done what I'm supposed to do. And what really shows the... Uh, uh, we, we read this in Ephesians in one of our texts. He said, what you do, do it from your heart and do it as unto the Lord. Right? And when you get to the point where you are ready to quit and I'm not helping them anymore, I'm not doing anything more for them. Why? Because they, they, they don't thank me. They didn't do this. Then it shows who you were doing it unto. You were not doing it unto the Lord. Never were. Because if you're really doing it unto the Lord, whether people say yay, nay, thank you, could care less, that doesn't affect you. Because you're not doing it as unto them anyway. And the Lord sees everything. And He is not forgetful concerning your labors. I mean, He keeps good books, good records. He knows everything that you've ever done. And the Bible said the good works of some men are seen beforehand and come out now here, but those that are otherwise cannot be hid. There's an exciting revelation there. Some things that you do, the Lord will let come out and you'll receive some honor and recognition for them here. Some of the things He reserves for later. And when it doesn't come out here and now, you ought to rejoice. And go, glory to God, He's got something planned for this later. And I guarantee you, that which is later before the judgment seat of Christ is worth skipping anything that would happen down here. Do you understand that the recognition of men is a very fleeting thing? You know, people get so upset because somebody didn't acknowledge them, didn't recognize them, didn't say so-and-so did this, and aren't we glad, and we appreciate it. No, I'm not saying you should never do that. I'm just talking about if somebody doesn't do it for you how you should think and feel. First of all, you shouldn't expect it. To expect it shows a wrong heart. You should not think, well, they just ought to. They're just supposed to. What did he say? When you do these things, you just say, we are unprofitable servants. We've just done that which was our duty to do. Is this servant, is he saying that he's upset because the man didn't thank him? No, didn't expect him to thank him. But if he had thanked him, he'd be surprised and blessed. Oh, friend, can you see how you can eliminate so much strife and so much confusion and so much problems from your own heart and mind if you just get to the place where you don't expect anybody to thank you or recognize you or do anything for you. You don't expect it. But then when it comes, you're thankful. You think, well, great. You didn't have to. I just do what I should have done. I just do what the Lord dealt with me. He dealt with me to help you. I'm just doing what he dealt with me to do. Well, I appreciate it. Well, you didn't have to say that. But thank you for saying it. But then when you get to the point where you expect it and you get mad if somebody doesn't acknowledge, then you're a hireling and your heart is not right and you're not doing it truly unto the Lord. You're doing it for men and unto men for men's benefit. Can you see that? Like I said, some of these things don't make you shout at the moment. <laughs> but if you'll do it, you'll really shout later. Remember the third type of servant that we talked about? Which one was that? Love servant. This is the person that's serving not because they have to. Because they don't have to. Nobody's making them. They can walk off anytime they want to. They can quit anytime they want to. I know that's the way the Lord has set things up with us. Do you know, you understand with serving the Lord, you can quit serving Him anytime you want to. Now you're foolish if you do. But nobody is going to make you do anything. The Lord's not going to make you serve Him. The Lord's not going to make you follow His plan and will for His life. The Lord's not going to make you do His pleasure. That's one, thing, one of the things I really like about Him. I mean, He owns us twice over. And still says you do what you want to do. You know, serve me if you will, but it's up to you. He calls you, but He doesn't make you. You have to respond willingly. He owns us by right of creation. He made us. Right? Is that right? Yeah, not only did He create us, He sustains us every second. Sometimes I think we, we think about, you know, God created it and set it in motion, but if He didn't continuously sustain it, it'd fall apart. You'd quit breathing. I mean, have you ever thought about it? You know, what makes you take the next breath? 
you know, how big? Our, our finest scientists and researchers cannot tell you why. They can tell you that the, you know, certain nerve endings in certain regions of the brain, involuntary impulses cause the heart to contract. And but, all right, but where does it come from to get to there? What what causes that to happen? Nobody nobody can put that under a microscope. Not only does He own us and continuously sustain us, but since we sinned, we lost ourselves because of sin, but Jesus came, paid the price for us, and redeemed us, bought us back. We were His, but we sold ourselves. He let us do it. Then He came, bought us back, but now He owns us twice over, but He still hands the keys to us and says, it's up to you. Serve me if you will. Why? Because He will not have compelled service. He will not have it. He will not receive it. You, that you, you're doing something because you don't have a choice. Sometimes people have wondered, why was there a knowledge of good and evil in the garden? Because you've got to have a choice or you can't have the real thing. Love cannot exist where people have no choice. Commitment and faithfulness cannot exist unless people have got a choice. And so God always gives us a choice. Serve me if you will. But the love slave, he's there by choice. She's there by choice. You know, there's a story, I know many of you know about it, in the Old Testament where that he talked about an individual that was a slave, that a fellow Hebrew could only be a slave for a certain amount of years and then they were to be released. But if that slave, after their time of service, was released, they could stay if they wanted to. But it would be totally their choice. And he said that the person could come, the slave, man or woman, could come to their master and say, I know that I'm a free person now, but I love you. I love your place. I love your. I love what I do with you. And uh, I don't want to leave. I want to be your, your slave. Not because I have to. Because I choose to. And they would take the person and pierce their ear and put a certain ring and what have you. And that was an indication that for life, they're that person's slave. But they're not there because somebody bought them or is holding a gun to their head. They're there because they chose to be. And that's what God wants from us. That's what He wants from us. And if that's what we are and what our heart is toward God, how will it be shown? It'll be shown in how we serve people. That we'll be there, not because anybody's making us, not because anybody's making us feel guilty, not because we're getting anything out of it or because we're asking or expecting anything out of it. We're there because we want to be there. And we're doing it because we want to do it. And we do it as unto the Lord, expecting nothing in the way of acknowledgement or thanks or anything like that. How many want to be a love slave? Do you? Is that, you have that on your heart? Want to be a love slave. Make a commitment that you're going to be a love slave to the Lord Jesus. I hear people sometimes saying, how could I, you know, Lord, how can I ever pay you back? You can't. Forget it. Don't try. Don't even try. It's an insult to try to pay him back. Nothing you can do can come close to paying the price of your redemption. What you can do is say, Lord, I'm not trying to pay you back. But I just love you so much for what all you've done for me and mine. I give you everything I got. I, I'm your slave. And I'm, I'm here because I want to be. And when you do that, he doesn't need a lot of help up there in heaven. He'll point to this. He'll point to that. He said, this is where I want help. This is that They need help. Help them and you're helping me. This church needs help. This ministry needs help. This work needs help. Help them and you're helping me. Can you say Amen. And when you're doing it, I'm telling you, you will find fulfillment. You will find satisfaction. You will find joy and peace. You'll grow. Amen. You'll find your niche. You'll fit. You'll belong. Praise God. And you'll be fruitful. You'll make a difference. Amen. Stand up with me if you would. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I want to pray a prayer with you. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. You're such a good God to us. 
Lord, you've done so much for us. Lord, we thank you that the Master came, Jesus, and became a servant to us. He served us in redeeming us. And even now sits at the right hand of the Father and ministers for us. And Lord, how much more ought we to make ourselves love slaves to you? And so, Lord, in our hearts we do. Pray this after me if you can. Father God, I want to be your love servant to serve you with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, my assets, my abilities, everything. Not because I have to. Not for what I can get out of it. But because I love you, I give myself, for I love you. Show me who I can help, what I can help, to help you down here. And by your grace, I'll do it faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Praise This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.